In this episode of The Fool Nerd, DLSS Non-Blurry Edition, Half-Life Alex and Rocket Lake S Leaks. Welcome to the Full Nerd Less Technical Edition, uh, episode 131. I think I got that number right. Yes. I'm your host, Gordon Mong, with co-host Brad Charkas. Hello, Internet. Special guest, Hayden Digman. Hello. And uh, Adam Patrick Murray, who's getting less control every week we do this. <laughs> I feel like I'm trying to uh, spin plates uh, and like pat my head and rub my tummy at the same time. This is... <laughs> Thanks, Skype. Thanks, Skype. Uh, but thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We're, we're here. We're still doing it. This is fun. I'm, I'm excited to talk yeah, about some, some news, because there is news, right? New Half-Life game. Well, actually, uh, first off, uh, breaking news, uh, Computex gets pushed to, to September, right? Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, they announced it this morning. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I'm actually... That's good news for me. I think I've said that on this on this before. I know I've tweeted it. Uh, for the last five or six years, between Computex and E3, I've always had to work hellacious hours during my birthday, and this year I don't. So, got a silver lining there at least. I was Did laughing. Sorry, I was laughing that GDC already announced that they're doing their thing in August or whatever. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's very optimistic that you're going to plan a new event and then maybe cancel that one. So. Did they say when in uh, September? Late September, early September? Uh, like the 20th or something? I forget. They have dates. I I do wonder, though. I mean, I understand they want to set a date. They want to push it back. But it's because typically companies plan launches around um, trade shows. Computex <laughs> was expected to be a pretty big trade show um, for launches this year because of just how schedules worked out. But I kind of wonder how many people really are going to plan to do a launch in September at Computex at this point. Yep. And what's even left? I mean, it feels like they almost have to launch anyway before Computex. Yeah, because it's all the back-to-school stuff. But, I mean, they did it uh, with SARS, I think, in 2003. They'd push it to September as well, and I guess it was a lot smaller, but, you know, still got to keep going on. Oh, yeah. You got you to gotta keep I, working. At least they're going to have it, because uh, <laughs> E3 is dead uh, for the year, so... Uh, and same thing. I mean, E3 being dead in a console launch year is a is a huge deal. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that Computex taking a year off is actually probably less important because everybody will just come back to that next year. Uh, E3, I'm not so sold on. So. Oh, you mean that it may not make it back? I mean, yeah, E3 I think, is always kind of like. I think they'll try, but I think. Uh, like the the temperature of the water that I've been seeing going around is once the publishers see that they can live without E3, maybe they will never go back. Because um, all that's been keeping E3 going is that like habit of well we've always done it this way and we already have budgeted for it so let's just do it again. Uh, but if they end up selling as many copies this year as they would have with E3, like if they look at the numbers and they go well we didn't we don't make money off of going to E3, uh, they might just never go back. Yeah, but it's, I think they go there for the buzz, sort of like I kind of wonder what the contingency plans from console makers that are launching would be. You know what? We're going to do our traditional launch without the trade show because, you know, Sony yeah. and Microsoft have stopped paying the millions of dollars to go to E3. We're just going to do our own Xbox, you know, Series X launch. You come launch your game at our event and then 
the ones that really like or that they're that you know it's those developers want to curry flavors with the hardware makers so they'll show up there and then sony will do its own and they'll just simply yeah. do their launches around there but that's the thing they, they might both do that but like e3 is still probably dead at that point like the the difference becomes then they're paying microsoft or paying sony for that booth space or whatever uh instead of paying millions and millions of dollars to the esa um yeah. so yeah i i agree i think i mean sony had already pulled out Microsoft was putting on a big show about still being invested in E3, but even they uh, will probably hold their own event now this year because they have a hardware launch. Uh, and so at that point, that becomes your event, and the ESA has no no show anymore. Yeah. No, that's... that's E3's come back from the dead before, though, right? It's, yeah. it's gone they dead and come back. So. The year where they were in Santa Monica in all the hotel rooms, so maybe <laughs> they can do it again. But So... You know what I want to know, though? So I'm running DLSS 1.0 on the background here, as oh, Andy would out. like to point out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not. But this is Skype. I don't know how to turn it off. But Brad, DLSS 2.0, I would not get the – they would fix this? Yeah, that's the idea. So this week, uh, as part of its not GDC announcements, the same reason <laughs> that we saw the PlayStation and Xbox stuff, uh, NVIDIA announced DLSS 2.0. Uh, DLSS being deep learning super sampling uses the tensor cores inside of GeForce RTX 20 series graphics cards. Uh, it sounded real cool when they announced it, you know, a year and a half ago at Gamescom for the GTX 20 series, but it never really picked up steam or worked the way that they promised it would. It sounded like a real game changing technology and it can be cool. Uh, but DLSS 1.0, the first iteration that we've seen in games like Metro Exodus and Battlefield 5 and whatnot, uh, just didn't quite live up to the promise. As Gordon said, uh, a lot of the games just, yes, it would increase performance. Because what it does is basically use the uh, tensor cores to use machine intelligence to upscale, to render game at a lower resolution, upscale it to a higher resolution. So it's like outputting at 1080p, but it's displaying on your screen at 1440p and using machine learning to make up the difference. Uh, but I often look blurry and crappy, as Gordon pointed out. Like if you put on Metro Exodus, you started with the, the day one stuff of Battlefield 5. It, it looked worse. Uh, and apparently it was a big pain in the butt for NVIDIA to get working because they had to train each game at a per game basis so they had this big saturn 5 supercomputer and they had to every game that wanted to support it they had to train each game in it and they found out as time went on which they probably should have thought of beforehand but it makes sense they admit it now uh that even games if all you do is change the resolution each run isn't exactly the same so like if a game has part of cool effects in it the particles could be slightly different run to run so it made it real difficult for dlss to get working so after that long run-up, we now have DLSS 2.0. Uh, rather than getting too far into it, I'm just going to say it uses a general neural network now and basically functions like temporal anti-aliasing in order to generate its upscaled images. Uh, yeah, rather than getting too far into that, let's just say what we'll get as gamers. As gamers, NVIDIA is promising... That now, thanks to improvements made in DLSS 2.0, one being that they can train games all over the place, uh, and this new network is twice as fast as DLSS 1.0, they say. So you'll be able to play DLSS on any graphics card at any resolution that it supports. 
the first generation DLSS, like if you had a 2060, let's say, you could only play at 1080p in some games. You could only play at 1440p in other games because they would have to train that one game through that resolution over and over again. So that's more generalized. You can play these games at any resolution if you have a supported RTX 20 series card. Uh, you can actually play it three different quality levels. Uh, you could pick it uh, balanced. You could pick it quality mode, which upscales it twice, 2x. And you can do performance mode, which boosts frame rates even further. Uh, uh, and that upscales it 4x. So if you're running 4K in DLSS, it's actually rendering a 1080p image, upscaling it to 4K. Uh, quality mode, which is upscaling it 2x. They actually say, in a lot of cases, it can look better in the game so, than native quality. So they're saying they're smarts. They now, if you put on DLSS with quality mode, you know, it'll run faster than native, and it can, in certain circumstances, look better than native resolution. They have examples from MechWarrior 5 and Control, both of which just got updated to support DLSS 2.0. And... DLSS 2.0 already was available in two games uh, that are kind of crappy. Nobody really cared. Uh, Wolfenstein Youngbloods, uh, which wasn't the best Wolfenstein game ever and took forever to implement its RTX features. And Deliver Us to the Moon, which I actually haven't played, but it looks cool. Hardware uh, and Box tested those already and says, you know, it's a game changer. Uh, DLS 2 is supposed to be super great. It finally delivers all the promise that they played up a year and a half ago, this second implementation, so it looks like it's going to be pretty cool. What's up, Aiden? Uh, it's also coming into control on Thursday, because uh, that's when the DLC comes out, uh, and yeah. so I've, I've actually uh, been looking at testing it uh, this week, or at least or at least A-B testing uh, some of mm-hmm. the things. That whole uh, it looks better than native resolution uh, that claim is the one that I find interesting and am mm-hmm. skeptical of. Uh, yeah. So, well, and uh, curious. Well, one of the things that I talked to him uh, at CES, uh, I can't remember who I talked to, but somebody on the NVIDIA team, I was just like, in control, my biggest annoyance was uh, every time you would go into a cutscene when DLS is on, uh, you would, uh, when and it would do a jump cut, it would kind of ghost the last uh, one or two frames from that initial cut. So you would just all, always see these like overlays for like just a split second. And uh, as a video guy, it just bugged the shit out of me. And they're like, yeah, that was, that was a limitation of how we were doing it. But supposedly 2.0 is going to be able to solve that. So I, I'm, I'm excited to try it this time. So, yeah, I forgot how bad control runs. Uh, <laughs> that's been interesting. So the thing that I find interesting about control, uh, I'm playing the Foundation DLC right now, actually, and uh, that game runs worse with tracing off for me than it does with ray tracing on. Um, I it stutters a lot more with the ray tracing off, uh, and wow. I thought it was actually I thought it I thought I had ray tracing on for a bit, and so I was like, oh, I guess I'll just like go dip that. Uh, and I'm on a 2080 Ti, uh, so I th- I thought you know it should be fine. Uh, and then I went in, and ray tracing was off. And ever since I've turned it on, it runs way smoother than it did before. So I don't know if it's something about the way that they're doing calculations for reflections when it's not on. Uh, but something is real weird about that game. I wonder uh, if that turns on DLS too, and that's the difference. Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, I mean, at least it hasn't enabled. They have a separate menu option for turning it on. So uh, 
I don't think it automatically defaults to on when you turn ray tracing on, but uh, yeah, I could check. That's interesting. Yeah, the the better than native claims seem kind of dubious to me too. Uh, Nvidia obviously in the briefing gave us some examples, and you had to like they had MechWarrior and Control both up, and you had to get like real nitty gritty to see it. Like they would zoom in super close, and like some text on a poster in the background would look sharper than it did. Yeah, so nothing you would actually see in real life. Uh, but the interesting part to me is if that generally holds true, if it's equal at least to native resolution, and you're able to get significantly more frames in the uh, example that NVIDIA was showing us, you were getting like 20 more frames per second. And if you could do that and maintain image quality, I'm very, very happy with that. Yeah, it makes me... uh, There's a lot of stuff that NVIDIA is doing that makes me wonder... Like, it it all seems like stuff that... I mean, it's great on the PC, but it also seems like stuff that would have been useful on consoles. Uh, The fact that AMD has no equivalent uh, makes me... Uh, feel like maybe the the consoles should have gone with uh, with an NVIDIA card at this point. I mean, I know they're more expensive, but there's a lot of stuff like this that seems like uh, like console upscaling is better than PC generally, but still pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, and so if you could have this sort of solution and you're gaining like, I mean, some of the numbers that they throw around are like twice or uh, you know at least a third more uh, more frames per second. Um, if you could get that sort of performance just by triggering one setting and it's like almost invisible to the end user, uh, it's kind of a shame to me the consoles won't have that right out of the gate. Um, or at least, it, you know, they might have a, a worse version of it that is uh, built by Microsoft or built by Sony, uh, which we'll see. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's always stuff like this. It's a, we're in that weird time right now where like the, the hardware for the consoles is pretty much locked. And, yeah. Uh, New stuff is already happening on the PC, uh, and so there's this weird moment where everything is in flux on the PC, but the the console stuff is we kind of know what we're getting at this point, uh, and it's it, I'm starting to hit that point where uh, I think we got there in like 2012 last time, where you start looking <laughs> like, oh no, yeah, consoles already feel behind on some of this stuff. So yep, yeah, it was just that's totally true. Uh, and looking at the spec breakdowns. This week, last week, it's been a long couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> With weird Mark Cerny uh, mystery yeah. theater thing. Yeah, but that man has a very soothing voice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they were admitted. They didn't admit. They they confirmed that AMD's RDNA two doesn't have the equivalent of tensor cores, so they wouldn't be able to do this. They do have more machine learning stuff to be able to like make ray tracing better, but. Like I just pulled up Nvidia's stuff and just just to throw the numbers out there, their example for MechWarrior five, fourteen forty p twenty sixty DLSS off seventy one frames a second DLSS on in quality mode, so it's the one that boosts frame rate the least is ninety five. So that's a huge jump. If they're able to do that, that's gonna be great for PC gamers. Yeah, hardware and box was very complimentary. That like I said, hardware and box already tested it in uh, Wolfenstein and Deliver Us to the Moon. And they were impressed to the point where they're like, should we test all games that support DLSS 2 with it enabled as the default in the future? That's like how impressed they were with it. Yeah, to me, it's like a huge boon because like, I mean, I have a 2080 Ti and uh, uh, 2080 Ti's are, are pretty common in uh, in gaming reporter circles, I would say. Uh, but like most people do not own a 2080 Ti. They own a 2060 or or equivalent uh, and so it's especially interesting to me if the 2060 line continues to be like the default for most people. Um, mm-hmm. 
and and continues to dominate the Steam hardware survey. Uh, it's a huge boon for those people because that's always been a hard sell. Like it, it's a 2060, and yeah, it does ray tracing, but it doesn't do it very well because you lose so much performance. Um, but this allows those cards to feel valid. Uh, yep. Like you can actually run this stuff with the ray tracing turned on, uh, which I think is is probably the the key to those cards. They needed something to be like, hey, you can run with ray tracing on, and it will still perform at the level that you're that you're used to. You're not like oh, I have to run this at medium as soon as I turn ray tracing on, which I think was the the big problem with a lot of those early ray tracing titles. Like As soon as you would enable ray tracing in Battlefield when that, yep. when that hit, it was like, well, well, damn, I have to turn down, like, I have to jump down two presets to make this work. Yeah. So Jump down two presets and then DLSS made it look blurrier yep. on top of that. <laughs> like, I think yeah. this, this will finally make those 2060s worth the cost uh and and worth the like the, the long-term investment they'll give a more future uh which i think is probably definitely a necessary thing when we start looking at the the console hardware and they're talking about like 2080 equivalents in those consoles um yep. so yeah i, I think Sometimes. it's also valuable for laptops too because yeah especially because desktop 2060 was you know kind of underpowered but you put a 2060 in a laptop that's super thin you're now running Max Q version, so you're running lower TDPs. It got, it looked pretty ugly in performance for a 2060 Max Q part versus the higher end parts. So, yeah, what's what's? I said I wasn't going to get too far into the details, but I think a cool detail that's worth mentioning is the issue with DLS one is a lot of games said they were going to support it. Very few games wound up actually supporting it. Uh, with the technological changes they've made to DLSS 2.0. Uh, it's apparently a lot, lot, lot easier for developers to tie it into their games. So as before, they had to provide stuff to NVIDIA. NVIDIA had to run it through their supercomputer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, NVIDIA says that DLSS 2.0 basically works like temporal anti-aliasing. Developers still have to choose to implement it in their game, but it's as easy as implementing TAA, which is very common in PC games. And if you already have TAA supported, apparently it's like a no-brainer. From hearing NVIDIA's marketers tell it. So, fingers crossed, if it's as good as it looks like it's going to be, and if it's as easy to implement as NVIDIA makes it sound like it will be, fingers crossed that we'll see a lot more games start to support it and make a huge difference. I have a question, though. I mean, I, I know everybody likes to talk about uh, visual quality and uh, the frame-by-frame analysis of the blur and, and, and blurry textures and all that stuff, but do you do you honestly believe if we sat a bunch of people down and A-B'd them with either the old version or the new version or – and you can make the same argument for ray tracing, sort of, well, not in control, but like most people just can't tell the difference. Are, is the, I know people are evaluating this by looking at it frame by frame and like, oh, look how blurry it is. Look how sharp this is. But in most games, could it you makes ever a tell? You yeah. could, if you ever played with DLSS 1.0 when it first came out in Metro Exodus or Battlefield, you knew DLSS was running. It looked, it wasn't quite as bad as Vaseline smeared on your screen, but there was definitely those kind of vibes. It yep. did make a difference. DLSS 2.0, it looks much better. Another image that NVIDIA shared was objects in motion. So they shared a picture from control of like a fan spinning from a mesh gate. And in the first version of DLSS, it was just like a grainy mess. Uh, and it looks much clearer in the screenshot that they shared now. So, 
also, those I, kinds of things are tangible quality of life. Like I think everybody notices that. Well, and also, Gordon, you know, the, the people who don't uh, look too far into it would be able to be like, oh, well, now I can run this. I used to be able to run this game at 1080p at 60 frames a second. Now I can run it at 4K at 60 frames a second as long as DLSS is on. Sweet. You know, they're just going to see bigger numbers and D- yeah, DLSS yeah. is going to help them get there. I mean, I do think that, like, in general, we're hitting a point where quality settings are actually um, less of a big deal than they used to be. Uh, so, so like I just benchmarked Doom over at PC Gamer, and uh, Doom is a special case kind of because that that game is a uh, a technical wonderkind. Like it, it has made that game look phenomenal for the way that it runs. Um, but also, I was amazed like flipping through. They have like six presets. It's like low, medium, high, ultra, ultra, nightmare, and nightmare or something like that. Uh, and it was like it was kind of amazing. Like you could flip through all the presets, and they all kind of look the same. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, if you like A/B test them, and if you know what you're looking for, like you can go through and you can be like, oh, okay, like the shadows are less crisp here, or like, oh, I'm missing this reflection here. Um, but especially like the difference between like like high. So like we're talking like the third preset, not even halfway up the the chain, and then like the maxed out ultra nightmare settings there was almost zero difference. Like you could look through that and be like, well, these reflections look exactly the same. These shadows look the same. It all looks just as moody. Uh, and so, and, and I found the same thing when I was playing half-life Alex this week. Uh, you can mess with those settings, but like nothing really made a difference unless you were changing the resolution and then changing the resolution would have a huge impact on frame rate. Um, but in general, like that stuff, I feel like we've hit a point where like the, the calculations that we're doing, to change the frame rate are uh, so technical that a lot of the times you just don't actually notice if they're missing or not because the baseline is still as good as games were like three or four years ago. Uh, And so like you look at the low settings and you're like, this looks a hundred percent fine. Like we're well past the days of like you change everything to low and all the grass disappears or whatever. (laughs) It's so baked into uh, the graphics at this point that like, they can still render render all of that stuff for the most part, or they can render it in a way that at least you don't really notice the difference. Um, and so I find that kind of interesting. Like, I think the DLSS is fascinating in a way because resolution has become such a big part of this. Like, as we move up to 1440 and as we move to 4K, this stuff becomes more important. But I do think when Gordon talks about, like, A-B testing some of these features, because I do think we're at a point where that's sort of what you have to do for a lot of it. Uh, like a lot of the stuff that we think of as most, um, I mean, control even, like you said control with, with ray tracing on, you can immediately tell, and I agree. But also, I played control last night with it off for like an hour and like kind of didn't didn't notice. Uh, and then once I started looking for it, I was like, oh, I have ray tracing turned off, I think. Um, but like the games look so good without those features that we're still at a point where it's like, yeah, okay, it looks fine. Like I, I just, I... I think it's kind of amazing how far we've come and how high the baseline is now. Uh, yep. and, and it'll only get weirder next year when the consoles leap us forward again and that baseline raises by a significant percentage. So, Yeah, I don't, I don't ever, like in my personal gaming, I never play on Ultra anymore. I always just stick things on high because you can't really tell a visual difference between high and Ultra in a realistic way. And you get so many more frames. And that's what I'm actually 
pumped to try out DLSS 2.0 because I have the control numbers here in the screenshot they have with DLSS off, 1080p RTX 2060, 36 frames a second. But with DLSS 2.0 on, it jumps at the 61. And if that can maintain, you know, image quality to where you would expect to see, like we're talking about here, like if you're watching it, you might not be able to tell a difference. But if you're, it feels twice as fast, that's that's a game changer to me because I'm, I'm a frame rate junkie. Yep, that's the thing. Like, I think the the nice thing about DLSS is it really enables 4K and 1440 to hit those settings. Um, I think that it'll be less useful for people at 1080p or like almost almost inessential in any capacity because 2060s and and above will handle all those games at ultra pretty much at this point. Um, but yeah, as we start moving to 1440 and 4K, which has been a very slow transition, despite what the most vocal people would have you believe. Uh, like mm-hmm. with the Steam hardware survey, it's still like 95% of people are playing at 1080p. Um, yep. So yeah, as we slowly, slowly, slowly transition to 1440 and 4K, uh, that I think that this stuff will be very interesting. Um, but that's why I was saying earlier, like to me, it's more interesting on the, like it's a shame this isn't on the console side because all those consoles are running at 4K for the most part. Uh, like I have, I have a 4K, you know, a giant 4K TV over here hooked up, uh, and my my PS4 doesn't even output uh, native 4K. So uh, that's that's the stuff that I think is interesting, and it's a shame that it won't be in those next gen consoles, or at least this specific instance of this won't be in those next gen consoles. Um, I don't, I don't a lot know. People are running 4K over there. I mean, I I think it's it. I'm certainly no friend of the consoles, but I I think I'm comfortable saying that. Sony and Microsoft have, um, they will hit the performance figures they've been touting with the hardware they have. So, I, for now, I, I think, yeah, yeah for now, yeah. yeah. It's more about like five years down the line. Yeah, but you know, consoles are not what they used to be, where you're just stuck with the same old junk for five years, and they're, they're perfectly comfortable to embrace three year life cycles in the hardware sometimes. So, and different, and the different price, different um, uh, performance tiers, too. Yeah. Although I, I do wonder uh, on this Brad for reviewers, it's really tough because everybody's still very focused on frame rates. Yep. And now it's we're also now you, as a reviewer, you have to go like, well, what about the quality of the frame? Right. And this is this has been something that is this is not a new thing either. This goes all the way back to the original implementations of anti-aliasing and, and NVIDIA and ATI would accuse each other of cheating on some visual quality thing and. Um, uh, what do you do as a reviewer? I mean, because uh, frame rates are generally what people respect the most, but yeah. you know the quality of it does matter. We're going to have to see how it goes. If it winds, if DLS two does wind up delivering, you know, native quality image at higher frame rates, you got to kind of take that into account, right? Uh, to me, I would probably handle it like I do currently. Whereas before, I add a game to a benchmarking suite. I'll test it in all the different modes it's available. Like some games have DX12, Vulcan, DX11. I'll test them all, determine what has the best possible performance, and test it using that. So it's always putting the best foot forward for that card. Because if you have, you know, uh, Radeon RX 5700, and it runs Strange Brigade better in Vulcan than it does in DirectX 12, why would you ever run DirectX 12? You should be running it in Vulcan. Get the most out of your thing. Uh, It'd probably be the same approach with the OSS 2.0. But I'd probably also run it with it disabled so that you can see the difference. That's just my off-the-cuff thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you would have to because you have to 
still be able to one to one compare Control. the yep. AMD cards, and that's the yep. that's the thing is like as long as the AMD cards don't have an equivalent, uh, you still need to know kind of what that equivalent is, uh, even yep. if even if with DLSS on. Like I, that's the thing. Yeah, I would probably A/B test both of them just to show, like, hey, here's here's like the baseline performance, but also because of Nvidia's work here, here's what you can expect to get in real world if you turn this on. That's actually this. That just reminded me. Thank you for bringing it up. That's actually how I approached it with Sapphire's Radeon 5700 Nitro cards because they have this really cool technology called Nitro Boost, where they just slightly down downgrade the resolution. So instead of playing at 4K, you're playing at like just below 4K say 10% off, it's adjustable. But then they pair that with AMD's awesome Radeon image sharpening tool, so it, it looks pretty much functionally the same, but you get much higher frame rates. Like, in my testing, the 5700 XT, the Sapphire Nitro version, got frame rates in the neighborhood of a 2080 Ti with that enabled, which is awesome. But what I did is I tested it normally, and then I had a whole separate section talking about its performance with this other technology added. Because it's worth covering, but you still got to keep everything baseline. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, not to not to transition us away, but uh, that was what made it hard to test Half Life this week, uh, because Valve dynamically adjusts the render resolution without surfacing that info to the the player. Uh, <laughs> so if you're, so it was interesting because like if you play on a 2080 Ti, if you play Half Life Alex on an index, uh, even the low setting. Uh, will look me- measurably better than the low setting on like a 1650 because mm-hmm. they're running, they're they're running the resolution on that 1650 at like I don't know maybe half. Uh, it's it's hard to tell, um, and they don't service that. So like even if you go into if you go into the headset settings, you can tell Valve they they released a new version of Steam VR, and you can tell Valve uh, or tell Steam like hey I want to render for my headset at this resolution. Uh, and so you can adjust that uh, that number in there, which is interesting because you can you can theoretically like super sample uh, on your headset if you have hardware capable enough. Um, but that number is also then modified again behind the scenes by Valve, and they change the render resolution a second time, which is like it makes it almost impossible. Like I, I was in contact with Nvidia because they make a FCAT VR, yeah, uh, which is like one of the only ways that you can benchmark. Uh, VR efficiently. It's a pain in the butt too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I had to reach out to them. So yeah, I had to reach out to them uh, because the the public version was broken because there were so many updates to Steam VR that the the version on the web wasn't working. And I was trying to get it working for like two hours and couldn't figure out what the problem was. And then reached out to Nvidia and they were like, "Oh yeah, it's it's busted. Here's like the version that we're working on internally." <laughs> so yeah, Oops. then they sent me that and. Uh, I started benchmarking, and they they had to like caution me, like, yeah, it you you actually cannot fairly compare any of these cards uh, in Half Life Alex because they're all running at different resolutions, so they all look like they're running the same game, but they're not. Uh, and that explained, as I said, like a lot of the stuff that I was seeing, which is like you would put it, you would run it on on a 1650, and like all the menus would look blurrier, and like yep. the whole, the whole game world would look worse, even on the same settings as the as the uh, 2080 Ti. Um, so yeah, it was a, a fascinating, uh, <laughs> you learn some things of VR benchmarking, which is like an absolute nightmare. Uh, I would yeah. tell people just never benchmark VR stuff if you <laughs> don't have to. Well, um, yeah, speaking of Half-Life, let's, why, why don't we get into that? I, th- I think yeah. people want to hear about that. Yeah. So I played Half-Life last week, uh, <laughs> 
and uh, that's why I, I've, I had to like hurriedly before we did this throw my guitars behind me because I have cleared everything out of this space <laughs> in order to uh, in order to play last week. Um, yeah, new Half Life game. Uh, it is very strange to play a new Half Life game. I'll say that. Um, I will say I will say it's very strange to not play a new Half Life game because <laughs> I don't have VR set up. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. This was the first thing to get me to hook up the index in, I like six months, maybe eight months, because I moved last summer and it was just in a box since then, um, because I didn't have like a great place to play in this in this room, uh, and I. It's a, I'll tell you, man. Like once once I moved over to the quest, and the quest is just like pick up, put it on draw a grid on the ground to designate your play space. And then it does all the tracking for you. Right. Because all the tracking is built into the headset. Um, so I moved over to the, we got, we got the quest in the index around the same time last year. And I still think, you know, dollar for dollar, the or not even dollar for dollar, but just in general, the index is the better headset, right? Like the tracking is the base station based. So it's like pinpoint precise all the time. It's great. Screen is beautiful. Uh, but man, it is such a hassle to set that thing up. And <laughs> after like after I moved last summer, the quest has been out. The quest has been sitting on my desk for like months, and I played Beat Saber and stuff on it. And then the Quest Link cable, when that came out, I was using that to play PC games through the Link cable. Uh, and I had just like left the index in the box, and so this was the first thing in in eight months or whatever that I was like, okay, I've got to pull the index out and like set all the base stations up, and it was a huge hassle. Um, now that it's was set, it worth it? Yeah, so like that's the thing is now that it's set up, it's nice because uh, it's a really good headset. It's very comfortable and like the the audio is amazing. Um, but yeah, just that that hurdle. Uh, I don't think you know as somebody who's been doing VR for a long time, I have always kind of like, eh, I mean, it's hard, but it's not that hard. But it's amazing like how much that hurdle can just sit there for a long time. Um, but yeah, like playing Half-Life on the, on the index is phenomenal. Uh, especially the audio. I don't think the index's audio gets enough credit. Uh, I can actually grab this. So the, uh, the index has like these two, I mean, they've got the, like, the little hangy, you know, hangy headphone things, but they're not headphones, they're speakers. Um, they don't actually sit on your ears. They kind of sit like an inch away. Um, and so it's, fascinating because it actually sounds so much more realistic because all of the sound is happening like around your head and not just like when you're listening to headphones you can very clearly tell you know their headphones it's like a very <laughs> flat soundscape this is like they have i think they're sending sound both in at your ears and also out into the environment uh, a, a small a small Smart. part uh, and so it's amazing like the, you know like a strider would walk over your head or whatever and it just sounds like huge uh in the in that headset yeah, that's why i I'm love so open bummed, back hair so headphones play it yeah i uh I'm, I'm bummed that a lot of people are not i mean it seems like people are going to play it eventually uh the vr headsets obviously have been selling like crazy uh, to the point where they're, they're still sold out uh it's been four months they started selling out in november uh, well before well before the coronavirus yeah they start selling out in like november early december like right before the holidays and everything is still sold out as of yesterday when i looked uh and that includes the index the quest the rift s which i don't even think people should buy um just everything is sold out uh which is is pretty amazing to me um but yeah it, so it's half-life uh i mean brad you read my review so you kind of have an idea of 
of where I land on it. Uh, I think the hardest thing about this game for a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of people who have played a lot of VR games, um, is that it's very much just another VR shooter. Uh, it is... Um, and and I, I don't mean to say that in like a diminutive way because it's a very good VR shooter. Um, so, but it's very much like I think people came into this expecting Valve to like completely redefine what you could do with a VR game or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and be the savior, kind of. Yeah, and yeah. like I think if it's going to be the savior, it'll be because they put a lot of money and time into this, and it's a game people have been waiting for for a long time, and so. If people, if enough people buy headsets and you have that install base, that then convinces other people to make games for the platform because there's a bigger audience that might potentially buy them. And that's kind of been the problem this whole time is we had this chicken and the egg of like, well, there's not much software, so you shouldn't buy hardware. But also if nobody buys hardware, then there's no software being made. This kind of gets us over that hurdle potentially. Um, but it's very much a game about, you know, like, oh, you fumble ammo into a gun poorly and then reload it, uh, and then you point and shoot. Uh, there's, like, stuff on the shelves and kind of push stuff out of the way and grab ammo or whatever. Um, but it doesn't feel... Um, I mean, so, so the the comparison I always go back to is Job Simulator, mm-hmm. which is funny because Job Simulator is now, like, four years old, uh, probably five, from the first time I played it at, like, a trade show, like a demo, probably mm-hmm. five years and um it's amazing to me like you go back to a job simulator and you can just do so many things with everything in that world like if you pick up um if you pick up like a uh cd or something you can like put it into something if you pick up like a brain and put it on the copier it will copy the brain out and you'll have another object like there's everything that you pick up in that game has a purpose and not only one purpose, but usually like five or six purposes. Like they went really deep on making sure every object has a as a use for the player. Uh, and the thing that I found about Half Life Alex, and it's the same thing that I've run into with um, like Lone Echo or Arizona Sunshine or that Medal of Honor demo that we did, the Respawn Medal of Honor VR game that's coming out uh, later this year, is they've built like a shooter with a couple of physics objects in it. And it feels very much like um, like when you would play Skyrim or something, and like yes, you could like pick up a pumpkin and like spin it around in three space, <laughs> but like none of it actually did anything. Like it didn't actually change the way that you played those games. Yep. Um, and so like that's sort of how I came away from from Half Life. Like really, all you can do with that world is point your gun at it and shoot it. Uh, and they occasionally like do some stuff that's very fascinating. Like you can um, you can knock the glass out of a window, which I think is like a cool a cool effect. Um, and it and it breaks like where you would think. So like if you have just the outside frame of glass, you can like you know knock all the the remaining pieces out of the frame. Um, that sort of stuff is cool. Uh, and they do a lot of like very cool attention to detail stuff. Like if you pick up a box of matches, you can shake it and you can hear like the matches rattle around inside. Or like uh, the one that I found really funny was you can pick up like a VHS tape, and like kids kids under the age of like twenty won't know what the hell I'm talking about. But like you can take the VHS tape and hear the VHS tape rattle. It does that like weird like uh, that stuff is like really cool attention to detail stuff um, that I think shows that they put a lot of money into it. Um, but like you can't actually do anything with the VHS tape and you can't like open the box of matches and like strike a match or anything. Do you know what I mean? Like that's like, that's, 
that's what makes the difference to me between like the fact that you can do stuff like that. I haven't played half like Alex, so I'm talking theoretically here. Yeah. Uh, being able to do stuff like that and then not being able to follow through with it. When I've had that happening, other games almost breaks the immersion more for me. Cause it's See, like, that- Oh, they have thought it out. That's the thing is I, I think that like what ends up happening is it's like this weird uncanny valley uh, that we're in with VR games where like we've done enough that I can tell they've put a lot of thought into this, but we haven't solved the next hurdle of like, okay, of, like we've put all these objects in the game. Now what can we actually do with them? So like, you know, there's bottles in the game, but you can't unscrew the bottles and there's nothing in them. There's cardboard boxes, but you can't like crumple a cardboard box or open the cardboard box to see what's inside most of the time, or, you know, do anything. You can't light the cardboard box on fire. Like, and so we're at this weird point where like, I can tell that valve has put a lot of work into this. It's a very polished VR shooter. It's a good half-life game. Like I I think story wise, there's some great hooks in there uh, that set up valve making new half-life games, which I think is also cool. Um, but at the end of the day, as like a VR person, I think, and I think I said this in the in the review, if you are coming to VR as a newcomer, which I think a lot of people are, a lot of people have bought headsets in the last three months to play this game, I think that Valve has done a good job of being like, hey, here's why VR matters. Here's why we could only make this game in VR. Uh, I think that's really neat. I think a lot of people will feel the same way that I did when I started using VR back in like 2013, like, Oh my God, this is so cool. This is the future. Uh, I can't, I like, I'm excited for those people to have that experience. But also if you've been playing VR games for like four or five years, you know, since the, since the CV one DK or, uh, you know, original vibe days, uh, if you've been playing VR for a couple of years now, I think you're going to play it and be like, well, yeah, I've done all this. Like I've done these things before. Uh, maybe not at this scale and maybe not with this level of polish. Again, I think that's what Valve has really proven here is like you can put a lot of time and money into a game and make it much better than the the sort of tech demo-y stuff that we've seen up till now. Yep. Um, but like, you know, shooting a gun and reloading a gun in VR, like I've done that a million times. Uh, yep. Or, or uh, you know, some of the physics puzzles. Like, I've done a lot of physics puzzles in VR because that's that's what it's good at. It's good at manipulating objects and, like, throwing objects into a bin, stuff like that. Uh, and so, I don't know. Like, I found it less interesting in a lot of ways than some of the weird tech demo stuff I've played because they're very much just making a shooter with some more physics objects in it and less... Blockbuster. Like, a blockbuster yeah. level of polish. Exactly. Whereas, like, some of the stuff that I find most interesting about VR is the stuff that's like, hey, we could only do this because of VR. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this just feels like, what if we made a Half-Life game for VR? Which, like, is a very thin line to draw, but I think when you're trying to sell people on the potential of the platform, it matters. Uh, especially people who aren't necessarily video games people. Um which I think has been the hurdle. Like I think a lot of video games people kind of understand the appeal of VR, in theory at least. Uh, I think a lot of people outside of that, which is what Facebook is trying to push with Oculus, like, hey, we want everybody to use VR. We think this is important for everybody. Uh, I don't think Half-Life is the sort of thing that's going to get those people interested um, because it's just not actually that deep like it it is not a world that you go through and you're like oh wow i can't believe they even thought of this like you know you open the cabinets and there's just like gun ammo inside (laughs) like it's very much a video game in that way uh 
Would you yeah. say that's the same with, I mean, like even open world games? It's always impressive. It's like, wow, you can go into every single house because, you know, they're unlocked. But you go in and it's just a big empty house or there's yeah. really nothing in there. It doesn't – you sort of want a, a actual reality in your game. But, it, it, I mean, it's not just VR. It's sort of all games. It's totally all games. But I think the problem is it matters more in VR because – if you want like the the whole thing that they're trying to build is like virtual reality, right? Like they want you to have that presence. Uh, they want you to like feel like you're actually in that world. And there are moments in, in half-life even where like you do feel that like you, you know, something happens and it's so amazing and all encompassing and you forget for a second that you're playing a video game, um, which I always think is the coolest thing about VR. Cause when you're playing a normal game on a monitor, you never actually forget that, right? Like it's very abstract and you're always playing the game. Um, VR is neat because occasionally you'll forget and you'll be like, wow, I'm like in this world and I'm fending off these head crabs and all that. That's what I was going to ask how the head crabs (laughs) crabs are great. Uh, They're really fun because they're like slow and lumbering this time. So you can just like, I I saw a great gift that valve made where they used a chair and as the head crab like jumped at them, they used the legs of the chair to catch it and then like throw it out. (laughs) Um, which I think is real fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that sort of thing where like you want to be immersed in that world. And, and in order to do that, it needs to be that much more real than a normal video game. And I just don't think we're there with stuff like half-life. And that's, I think the weird thing is like something like job simulator, even though it's small and cartoony and like really dumb, uh, it's just like a joke game and a, like a, a sandbox basically, um, that sort of game to me makes me feel more like I'm there for some reason. Uh, and, and not, not for some reason it feels that way because of the number of object interactions and the amount of things that work the way that you expect them to work. Like they intuitively do the things you expect them to do because yeah, as Brad said, I think there is a level of uncanny valley-ness where like you pick up the box of matches and it makes that shake. And then you're like, Oh cool. I'm going to pull a match out. And then you can't. And and that's where like all of a sudden you're like oh this doesn't oh yeah I'm in a video game, and I, I feel the same way. They have a bunch of books in this game, and they call attention to them. Where like you'll walk into a room and there's a journal sitting on a table or sitting on like a sleeping bag in somebody's uh, like hideout, and you'll walk in and you'll be like oh wow a journal and you'll pick it up and then it doesn't open and there's it's just like a sealed book it's a prop, oh. and and so like that sort of thing becomes all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, I'm in a video game and like valve didn't care or, you know, didn't, didn't fill this, this journal with something for me to read or, uh, even to look at, like, there's no, like, I'm not going to flip it open and it's a blank page inside or anything. You know what that makes me want real bad, which is totally unrelated to half-life. Just hearing you say that makes me want Bethesda to make a Morrowind library with all the different volumes of books that they have in the game that I could just go to in VR and read all the, freaking Morrowind books yeah, and, and like that's the thing is like i get it kind of because like reading in vr sucks and especially mm-hmm. on anything that's not the index like the screens are so blurry like but it's just weird when you expect the world to react a certain way like you've been i mean because it's that's the thing is it's supposed to emulate your actual world it's supposed to emulate reality it's called virtual reality for a reason and so when you play and something doesn't work the way you expect it to immediately there's this element of like, oh, well, I kind of wish this hadn't been here at all <laughs> because now it's just like now I've just been like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pick up this book and read it. And then it doesn't work that way. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in a video game and all of this is fake and all of these are just props. 
And uh, that's why I think that, uh, like, uh, you know, fun little distraction kind of experiences kind of work better in VR. Because, like, what was it? Uh, Fantastic Contraption, I think it was called. Like, a cartoony game. That was great. It was a puzzle-solving thing. I enjoyed every second of that, and I could lose myself in it because I didn't expect the world to behave a certain way. But when you start to make things ultra-realistic like this, is it turns virtual reality, it snaps you back into reality when it doesn't work, and that yeah. sucks. And that's the thing. I think the the phrase I've used, I think I used it with the Respawn piece, and I might have even used it in the Half-Life piece, is like, these are really, like, they're the, it's the, you know, wide as, a, wide as an ocean, deep as a puddle problem. And... I've generally found that the stuff that I respond to best in VR is the opposite where it's like, maybe it's as wide as a puddle, but then you start playing around and you're like, wow, this is really deep. Like actually all of these, you know, maybe there's only a hundred objects in this room and it's only a one room experience, but all 100 of these objects do something and have a purpose and you can mix and match them in all these weird ways. And everything that I would want to do has been accounted for by the, by the programmers and that's the sort of stuff that I find fascinating. And I don't know how you scale that to like a 12 hour half-life experience. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and the only thing that I can think of is like at some point, I feel like the model needs to change, but um, where there's more sharing of assets and stuff and people are going like, Hey, I made, I made this matchbox that you can open up and take individual matches out and use them to, to strike a fire. And then that goes out into a public repository so that other people can then take those assets into their VR world. And the matchbox will always work like a matchbox. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the level that we're at. Like we need people to be sharing their work a lot more than they are because everybody developing this stuff in isolation means we're never going to hit that scale. Like it's just impossible for valve to account for every single object and every single surface and, you know, all the combinations thereof. Um, and that's valve. Like yeah. a lot of companies don't have anywhere near the amount of money or time or exactly. anything as valve does. Exactly. Um, but like, I think that needs to happen in order for VR to really catch on. Like, I think that's the next layer that everybody is trying to hit is like, okay, we need more of these objects. So we need like more interactions. Uh, and until we get there, we're just going to have these like very arcadey sorts of shooters, which are fine. And it's cool to see city 17 at this scale. And it's cool to play another half-life game. And I had a really good time with it. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's like revolutionary the way that I expected. I really expected valve. Like if anybody could make that world, it would be Valve. It, they would be the ones that had the money and the time to make all these weird interactions. And even their effort at it, their best effort, feels kind of like, well, they got halfway there. Or like they got two-thirds there or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I just don't know how we get beyond that. Uh, and I hope that we do because I, I think that VR has a lot of potential. I just don't know if the thing that I want to play in VR is just like interactive light gun games, basically like a very immersive light gun game. Um, that to me is not what makes the platform appealing. And I don't think it's enough to win over a lot of the people that are not sold on VR already. Like when yeah, that's the people to clear out, you know, 20 square feet of space or whatever, you need something that's more than like, yeah, it's like you're playing time crisis, but like with a headset on. That's the interesting point to me, because like if you look at like what Valve has done with Half Life, like Half Life Two was made to push Steam to get Steam into people's houses. It's clear that Half Life Alex exists to push Team VR to get Index and other headsets into houses, and it 
it sounds like while it's a great game, we gave an editor's choice and a great rating, it doesn't sound like it's going to necessarily push things as hard as Half-Life 2 pushed Steam into people's houses yeah, because I'm... it breaks into the physical world. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, and it's clearly selling copies of, of, or, you know, selling units of headsets. Like, all, as I said, all this stuff is sold out, so I think they have succeeded to some extent. Like, if they wanted to juice uh, VR sales, they've definitely done that for every platform. Um, I just think it's a, like, going forward, um, like, Valve has already said, like, yeah, we'll we'll gauge whether we make another VR Half-Life based on how this one does. Uh, and that to me is like the wrong way to approach it. You know what I mean? Like, no, you need to like fully commit and like design games around this from the start. Uh, because if valve's not going to stand by their own hardware and say like, no, we believe this is the future and this is how it has to be from now on. Uh, who else is going to, do you know what I mean? Yeah. They are the ones making the hardware and they are the ones that have the most money and time to invest in it. Um, so yeah, like if they're not going to do it, who is, what stinks for me is that I can't play it. I mean, I have a VR headset, but my house isn't set up for it right now. Yeah, I'm looking at the the Steam stats right now. Uh, the peak today for Half Life Alex, it had forty two thousand people playing at once. Right now, there's twenty one thousand people. There are more people playing Brawlhalla, Hearts of Iron Four, you know, Witcher Three, RimWorld than there is Half Life right now. Absolutely, but also <laughs> if you look at like the general VR stats. That's like a pretty amazing stat like it it goes both ways yeah i I think that we're not we're definitely not at the level of like oh it's a blockbuster hit but also for vr it's definitely a blockbuster hit like it it feels like one of those games like uh halo on the original xbox where like if you owned an xbox you probably owned a copy of halo and halo 2 Uh, i feel like if you own a vr headset in 2020 you most likely have bought a copy of half-life alex uh but I, I mainly, I'm just curious what we get going forward, um, because I think this was, like, I was hoping this would be the start of, like, a big thing for VR. Like, this would demonstrate what VR was capable of to a lot of people and to a lot of developers. Uh, and I don't feel like if you've been following this space for three or four years that this would show you anything that you haven't seen before. Like, I, I, I and, and that, that, that's like a very like pessimistic way of talking about a game that we gave a 4.5 out of five to. I think I I, like that's a, I want to reiterate, like I think half-life Alex is amazing and one of the best VR games out there. It's very polished. It's very fun. Um, but that said, if you were looking to like looking to valve to be like, Hey, show me what you could do with this tech that I haven't seen. Like, no, that didn't happen. Like it it plays Arizona sunshine. It plays like, uh, Wilson's Heart or Lone Echo or uh, Asgard's Wrath or any of these other big budget very polished VR experiences we've had where it's like yeah I mean it plays like a normal video game and like it plays like a video game where I can pick up a bunch of things off the desk and like throw them around uh, and after you've done that you know a hundred times it kind of I think loses the appeal uh, like yeah. I, I've picked up and thrown enough objects in VR at this point that like I was playing Half-Life Alex. And just like, okay, just get all these boxes out of the way. Like I don't, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> just give me the shotgun shells already. <laughs> yeah, I don't sit there and like, you know, balance them all, or because I've done all that stuff in a dozen games already. Yep. And I've done it in games that are just as good as as Half Life. Um. So yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens, but I didn't find the like, oh, this is what we can do from now on. 
uh, like that sea change that you're always hoping for with these sorts of games. Uh, um, that's a bummer. Question for you, Hayden, before we move on. Uh, did you did you do most of it in room scale, or did you do some of it sitting yeah, down? Yeah, I did all of it all scale. Of it room scale. I, oh, okay. they, they offer room scale at this point. That's the only way I'm playing. Um, though to be fair, uh, Index or you know the uh, Alex has like a lot of motion options. Uh, I think they have four different ones. They have like a instantaneous teleport. Then they have something called uh, Shift, which is like teleport with context, where basically, uh, and we've seen a couple other games move to this lately, where you teleport, but instead of just like blinking, like fading out and fading back in, it just like moves you really rapidly through the environment. And it's so rapid that you're probably not going to get motion sick because everything is just like speeding past you. Uh, It's not that like slow motion where you kind of feel like, oh no, the world is moving, but I'm not. So they have that. That's like probably the most comfortable option. Then they have continuous motion on the stick, uh, which just works like a normal shooter. You just move the analog stick and you move around, which is how I played most of the game. Uh, I took some Dramamine and just powered through. Uh, and I would say not the most comfortable experience, um, but also probably the best if you're just looking to like be in that world. Uh, and I would say continuous motion plus room scale is the ideal uh, because you can basically like move with the thumbstick to where you generally want to be and then adjust like small motions with room scale. Uh, but also, if you were just playing seated or standing in one place, you could just play with the thumbstick and be 100% fine. Uh, just, yeah, Dram- Dramamine turns out is great. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I'm not big on like continuous motion in VR and definitely playing for a review where I couldn't stop, that was, like, essential. Because uh, generally, I would, you know, if I start feeling sick in VR, which usually usually takes, like, an hour and a half or two hours, even in continuous motion, um, but generally, if I'm, like, feeling sick, it's like, okay, time to take off the headset, and then, even so, it, like, lingers for, like, hours. Like, if you've ever mm-hmm. gotten VR sickness, it's just, like, four hours later, you can still feel it, which is nasty. Um, but I was reviewing Alex, and I think on Saturday, I put, like, five hours in a row in under the headset and like actually enjoyed it because I was on Dramamine and like didn't get motion sick. Uh, but yeah, I definitely would not have been able to do that. Like I, the first two sessions I played on, on Thursday and Friday, it was like, okay, I played an hour like, taking this off. I've got like the cold sweat. Uh, so if you invest the 800 or a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars into getting an index to be able to play half like Alex toss an extra 10 bucks in to make sure you get Dramamine too. Yeah, I just <laughs> got the room for it, uh, and and I mean, I would not like the index is amazing, but I would, I think that you're actually just as good with the old Oculus and Vive. Like you'll you'll lose out on the finger tracking, but I didn't feel I didn't feel like it was very essential for the game they're making. Um, the touch the touch controllers especially are just as good as Index in a lot of ways. Um, I would say probably I mean if I was buying VR right now, I would as I said earlier just go Quest. Uh, with probably the link cable, which uh, that adds a significant cost on. That's an eighty dollar cable, which is silly. Um, but like even so, I think that's still less than half of the cost of Valve's entire platform. That's five hundred dollars versus a thousand for Index. Um, and I just think that Quest is probably much more future proof. And uh, if you're anything like me, you'll just use it more. Like, I love Index. I love it to death. I had a Vive hooked up before the Index showed up last year. Uh, and it took me, I mean, I'm a VR guy, and it took me eight months to set up the Index this time. So, because I 
I've been using Quest, and I've been using Quest with Link, and I didn't feel like I really needed anything else. So, well, uh, uh, thanks to Lindsay, she gave us five dollars for some drama mean. So straight to the PC <laughs> world stuff. Uh, Gordon, did you need some drama mean when you saw the Rocket Lake S leaks? Uh, did- no, because you know they they look pretty. They look pretty. Uh, they look pretty realistic, and you know we're we're not going to get too in depth in it because it is just a leak. But uh, basically, you got to give a shout out to video cards. Apparently, they surfaced a leak, as I call it, because I mean companies do like to make uh, strategic moves through leaks. Uh, my feeling, but Rocket Lake S is basically you know people. Some people are going to groan because it's another fourteen nanometer part from Intel, and they've been stuck at fourteen nanometer for years. But the big deal with Rocket Lake S is it is an actual new microarchitecture. So basically, Coffee Lake, uh, Sky Lake, KB Lake, all the lakes that we've had since Sky Lake have essentially been iterative versions of each other. Slight improvements. Uh, Rocket Lake S is actually supposedly a new microarchitecture. There's also the new Z cores, according to the video cards leak. The slide looks pretty realistic. It actually includes a block map of the uh, Intel 500 series chipset. There's a couple really uh, Z cores being the graphics cores, right? Yeah, Z cores being new graphics yeah. cores. So not the not the uh, no not the old because all the desktop parts have had the ancient ancient uh, UHD HD graphics cores. These are actually supposedly their new graphics cores. Uh, the big difference um, besides uh, it is 14 nanometer. 14 nanometer is I think for me, the key thing is uh, PCIe 4.0 is supposedly being adopted with uh, the 500 series and the uh, Rocket Lake S. And also forever, Intel has been sort of bottlenecked from their DMI. So you have the actual CPU that connects to what we used to call the Southbridge. It's called the PCH now, but it's all your plumbing for your uh, SATA drives, uh, other uh, lower end PCIe, all that extra sort of PC plumbing. So that has been bottlenecked at uh, a by four connection for a long time. Um, and now apparently if this leak is correct, they're going to move to by eight. And also you will get 20 PCIe 4.0 lanes. So yeah. Intel has been really behind AMD on um, sort of the infrastructure, all that plumbing, all the freeways that connect all the cities of the chips. This could actually be a pretty big infrastructure leap for Intel um, also, of course, new microarchitecture. Obviously, they're going to be limited. Seven nanometer versus fourteen nanometer is always tough. But I'm going to guess that uh, Intel likes to do mu- new microarchitecture changes. Obviously, in the old, they, the way they used to do it was they would do it on the the old process, make sure it works, and then they would move it to the new process. So, <clears throat> actually, so hopefully TikTok. they're going to do that. So TikTok. So they're probably going to do. New, new. Actually, this is sort of backwards because usually they would do new process, make sure the process works. They're going to use basically to shrunk shrink of the previous microarchitecture. Sorry, I got that backwards. So this is actually the new microarchitecture supposedly implemented in 14 nanometer, and then they're going to move that to 10 nanometer. So it's actually a fairly radical change for Intel from what they used to do in the old days. So we'll see if that holds up because they obviously have not been executing on process for quite some time but that's a big deal pcie 4 will help that new dmi will help and also i I think there's a pretty interesting call out on the slide if real is the cpu attached storage or intel octane memory you know there's i think you know intel's been developing octane for a long time i think they think they have an advantage with you know that persistent high speed 
almost as fast as RAM, way faster than your SSD stuff. They're going to want to use that as a feature that you can only get on on their parts. And it's possible, I would think, that that's what you're going to see with Rocket Lake in future versions because Optane is awesome, but it really doesn't apply that much to what the ultimate vision of Optane is, and that could really be the real deal. And also, of course, Thunderbolt 4, which is essentially Thunderbolt 3 with USB 4 implementations. I'll take Thunderbolt 4 with PCI 4 and Z graphics. You know, all this sounds great to me. Yeah. You know, I know people are going to groan. They're going to go, oh, 14 nanometer again. But, you know, we'll see, right? I mean, um, Intel's still amazingly competitive with 14 nanometer in some ways. And, of course, in a lot of ways, they're not competitive. We'll see what they get with Rocket Lake, if, if they can still stand. Because rumors are this is end of 2020. And, hey, AMD's got Zen 3 coming out. So Zen 3 on 7 nanometer, it may, it may be a tough beat at 14 nanometer for, for Intel. But at least this is sort of the desktop side of everything. Rocket Lake S is a desktop part. It'll go into a new socket, 500 series chipset. But at least it's moving forward. Uh, a lot of the desktop stuff for Intel has been pretty stalled, especially on the smaller socket, because they obviously want to concentrate on servers and laptops. And this is them saying, hey, we, this is, we're going to start fighting back now later this year with Rocket Lake S, if it's true. People might be disappointed to see that it's still 14 nanometer. I personally, just again, to put a little personal silver lining on this, I'm kind of pumped about it, because if that winds up being true, then I put on paper, to eat my own words, uh, my prediction for 2020 is that we will not have 10 nanometer desktop Intel parts. Uh, And if this turns out true, I could be correct on that, which would be great because I also predicted that Half-Life Alex will be delayed, and that didn't happen. So I know I'm going to be eating some paper. So, Well, there was a desktop um, 10 nanometer part in Nook. Well, I'm not talking about Nooks. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, is this going to... Uh, I mean, all of this sounds fine, but is this going to meaningfully change anybody's purchases? Um I mean, Gordon, you know, I was just asking you the other day about upgrading my CPU. And uh, I think we were talking about 3850 or whatever, 3800 being the way to go. Uh, Is this in any way, is this a reason for anybody to wait until the end of the year to see either what AMD or Intel is doing? Or is it just like, yeah, just buy whatever you can get right now? Because all of this stuff for the last couple of years, especially on the Intel side, has felt very like, ah, we're just kind of spinning our wheels Right, stuck, they've been stuck in the mud. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, clearly AMD is in front for you. I think we were talking thirty nine hundred X, right? Twelve yeah, core part. Yeah. So it's just nice. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I would argue, obviously, you know, AMD is probably top of everybody's list. One, you can get the parts. Um, two, very, very, yeah, very low cost PCIe four, sort of all that stuff. But I would think that when Zen three comes out. Um, they'll push, I'm going to think, you know, DDR5 possibly, maybe that's going a little too far, PCIe5, but, you know, NV likes to push the envelope to, keep, to stay ahead of, of, of Intel. So, yeah, with all things PC and all things technology, it's always better. I can tell you what comes out later this year will be better than what we have now, but yeah, it's is always- it going to change your life? Probably yeah. not. Well, and that's, I, I think AMD has been making some smart bets, um, like uh, going back to Doom real quick. It was fascinating because uh, NVIDIA still is, is you know, 2060 is a six gig card, uh, but it's a $300 card or a $400 card. Uh, it was fascinating because um, Doom Eternal uses so much VRAM 
that like an RX 580, you can max out the VRAM capacity and it will look better than uh, Doom Eternal on a 2060 where you can't max out the VRAM, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is fascinating. Um, and it's just because that RX 580 has eight gigs of, of VRAM in it. Uh, and so there's, there's interesting stuff like that that I think AMD has made strategic bets on in the last couple of years that have actually paid off. Uh, they have, have targeted where that market's going in some ways uh, better than the competition, uh, or at least have made a very strong argument for why you might want one of those cards. Uh, whereas like a, I think the equivalent cost-wise for a 580 is like a 1650, which is a 4-gig card still. Um, and so in Doom Eternal, that tops out at like medium settings or something like that. Uh, so yeah, it, it's interesting um, to see AMD back on top uh, especially like the CPU stuff, it's very hard to find anybody recommending going and buying Intel stuff these days. Except that the BIOS on Intel side generally is is much better. Uh, like it was it was interesting doing the research for the 3900X and trying to find a motherboard that people actually like, and all of the motherboards are like, well, if you tweak the BIOS here, here, and here, this works yeah. fine. Uh, Whereas, like, Intel, I feel like, is very plug-and-play still. Like, you generally just buy a motherboard, and it, it's fine. So That's that's always going to be an argument. There's people that are just going to feel more comfortable with, with Intel. So that's, that's, that is hard for AMD to overcome. But, you know, they've made huge strides over the last year and yeah. two years over it. So I mean, I used to laugh about AMD stuff, like, two years ago because they were just way, way behind. It felt like they could never catch up. So... It's yeah, amazing how much the uh, how much that shift has happened in the last like two years. I mean, I haven't bought an AMD uh, uh, AMD processor in like over a decade. Uh, sure, so, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to me to see how fast they've they've caught up. Definitely. Well, yeah. Uh, b- before we tune out, it looks like we're probably gonna have to skip skip the uh, the viewer Q and A. Sorry, we, we got a hard out. Um, what do you what do you think the the likeliness of of this coming out this year, Gordon? With all these delays and stuff, Uh you know, everything's everything's up in the air. I think everybody just has, you know, they're going to hope everything comes out. So I I think so. I think there's there's good chances, but but who knows, right? The things are a little fluid right now. But I imagine that things are still on schedule. And hey, Computex is September, so. Maybe it'll be. <laughs> it could come out. It'll be a good time to celebrate. Like it could be, it could come out and be supply limited. Like I feel like the, I don't know, Coffee Lake or something. There was one Intel part a couple of years ago that like was out, but like, yeah, that was it. Find it for for six months. So uh, yeah, it was Coffee Lake. They came out in October with the high end K parts. Then it was not till like January that the affordable motherboards came out. Yeah, and that's. A, I feel like we could see that situation again. Like, oh yeah, it's it's out, uh, but like you know, nobody can get their hands on it, and nobody can find them, which uh, will be interesting. I mean, obviously the consoles are having the same conversation right now. How many how many units will they actually have in November? Right, we'll see. Right, I mean, who knows? So, but I think there's a good chance. Let's let's all let's let's all hope for fun desktop things to buy at the end of this year. So, yeah, from everyone. All right. Why don't you uh, why don't you take us out, Gordon? Uh, and we'll we'll be back definitely later this week. Yeah, we'll be back later this week. Sorry, I got another video conference to take, so I got to go. But check back later this week for your fix of PC talk on the full nerd for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on God can't read this iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. 
also Spotify too. Also, if you're on iTunes or any of the services, please leave us a review. Every time you do, they add a new app object in Alex that you can actually interact with. Maybe <laughs> if we're lucky. Also, send us email to uh, the full nerd at pcworld.com. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon with Brad Chalkas. If you're bored at home, go check out Hayden's list of the best free games just published today. That's true. Hayden Dingman? Uh, I like Adam's background a lot better than the toilet he was in the other day. (laughs) (laughs) It's less... Yeah, it's uh, less comfy, though. You know, if I needed to go, I just could go. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, everybody. Uh, Stay tuned for more awesome streams later. We will see you later. (laughs) 